0: So, Marin, uh, thank you for coming today for the first Requis podcast. Um, supply Chain Next is the title of the podcast series that we're creating here, and you are our very first interview, so really looking forward to it. Um, the concept behind Supply Chain Next is we want to explore topics uh, pertaining to the enterprise supply chain digitization journey. Um, we're kind of you know really taking an exploration on where this big segment uh, of enterprises is moving into the digitization uh, path, how they're going to go about it, uh, what they're looking for, some trends. And I think your background, um, which we'll get into in a second, really is just the quintessential person we're looking for to kind of kick this off, given everything that you've done over the, the past, God, your career, 20 years, but certainly 15 years with Supply Chain 50, um, and we're going to touch on topics that uh you know get into real you know practical examples of how enterprises can start um some of the things they can get going on some of the things you've observed uh you know throughout your career and what you're kind of looking forward to next, and really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have today
1: terrific well richard i'd just like to also say that i'm honored to be the first uh in this series and hope that uh the insights that you're looking for are uh Found within this interview and that we can keep it interesting and exciting for everybody listening in.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also, and Bill, just like any conversation kind of getting going, um, <clears throat> you and I have known each other for, oof, good, no, Lord, five, six, seven years now. Um, every time we get together, it just kind of goes on and on. So I'm not, it's really not concerned about time. Um, it's, it's it's more about constraining ourselves to all the different things that we want to get into. So let me go ahead and just get started here. Um, You know, Bill, uh, you know, specifically for the audience, too, I think it's really I mean, you've got such an amazing background uh, specifically in supply chain and all things that you've done. So can you kind of just open this up for a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you've done, you know, kind of obviously highlighting something in supply chain 15 and give give the audience a little bit of a overview of who you are and where you've come from and, you know, just your involvement in supply chain.
1: Sure. I, I think the uh, probably the most relevant things about my background would be first that I, I'm an old guy. I uh, started my career in the mid-1980s. And I, as I've reflected on what we're here to talk about today, it, it just seems most appropriate to uh, position what I did back in that era as transformational work in the printing and publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And in that era technology was being introduced to basically replace the analog world. <laughs> much like the uh, the transformation that we're watching happen to, happening today, much of what was happening then was consumer technology driven. <laughs> the PC was just being introduced. Uh, Microsoft was your young company. It was uh, an incredibly exciting time for individual users to adapt uh, technology, but companies really lagged in their approach and were stuck with legacy systems that frequently held them back. So uh, that, that era change for me was, uh, was a one that made a big mark on my career. I was very fortunate to, to be with a very progressive company at that point in time that was partnering closely with Apple, mm-hmm. also worked very closely with Adobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they implemented uh, PostScript, which is a printing language that yeah. uh, transformed the way documents are printed today, which is still still around today. You bet, you bet. That uh, that technology was uh, it just drove an incredible amount of change across all of publishing, and today still stands. But the um, the other thought that I had was that when you look at my career, I, I was with a startup in the in the mi- in the mid nineteen nineties that built private data networks uh, and i like to say we were doing cloud computing before cloud computing was called cool right. so it um was an, an exciting era of of replacing conventional technology network technologies with a way that um and processes that help manufacturing processes uh improve on an exponential level so i was very fortunate you know, to, to be in the supply chain world with transformational technologies, you know, before we really thought we, anybody really recognized them as transformational. So,
0: And let me, let me ask though, because this is definitely, you know, kind of go back and forth and you know how our dialogues go, sort of go back and forth, back and forth, but you, you, you touched on something that I think is really interesting, which is the, the early stages of this transformation you noticed in the 80s is there anything from that period that you noticed that's a consistency that then is being replicated today in enterprises now again adopting newer technologies is there something about the enterprise something about the way they adopt technologies or look at it i mean can you can you kind of touch on that a little bit your experiences back then
1: i think the most significant is the impact on the people factor yeah. um uh, today you hear you know lots of fear factors uh developing around uh job security for you know the non-technical worker um processes becoming you know more integrated which means there's a different skill set required of almost everyone in the enterprise i see those those factors being exactly what they were back yep. in the mid mid 80s so we will see jobs eliminated but mm-hmm. those that look at it as opportunity and um uh, you know, an opening for them to demonstrate their ability to learn and adapt and be agile in their own approach to doing work will will find a whole new frontier of opportunity for them in their careers. I, I sincerely believe that that uh, that style opportunity is there just like it was in the '80s. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, okay, so carrying carrying forward from the '90s, then um, how did how did your sort of progression move into some of the roles uh that you got into in the 2000s and where you are today
1: well i would say i was um in the 90s the the change in the dot-com era when it went from high flying to almost collapse uh impacted me dramatically Mm -hmm. i um Basically, had to shift gears in my career and look for a different way to, uh, to think about my future. I had gone into the network services world thinking it was my ticket out of the consolidation of the printing and publishing industry and quickly found that the network services world uh, almost came to a halt when... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the early 2000s when when markets shifted and funding was no longer really available for a lot of the key players in the market, so mm-hmm. that was a watershed moment for me from a career perspective. I think that um, what I learned um, through the effort was that your ability to adapt uh, and change and to collaborate became much more important as we reinvented what the future would look like through a lot of turmoil and and economic challenges. So by the time world 50 was created, I, I joined the company in the 2007 timeframe. Okay. It was uh, really clear that executives needed forums where they could come together and, and talk more openly and honestly about their challenges and to seek better outside perspective than they were getting internally from their companies. And okay. that, uh, that's really the, the shift in my career that was um, profound because prior to that, I'd been really focused on, on working for technology companies that could Im- impact change. And in the, uh, you know, the mid-2000s, I found myself doing more consulting work and helping companies think about change differently and, and being much more of a, an advocate for collaboration than, mm. um, than technology as the answer can you walk a little bit
0: through kind of how supply 50 started when that started? And then you started chairing that and then your kind of just overview experiences of the group, you know, how it was formed, how it kind of evolved, ebbed and flowed, Um, incredible, you know, group of people that came together twice a year to really chat through the trends that are going on. I, I found it to be, you know, incredibly insightful. I mean, just you know, your your leadership in that group allowed people to really get the most out of two days possible. Um, and it was always something to look forward to. So yeah, just just walk us through a little bit kind of how supply fifty came about and your involvement there and you know the, the growth and then, you know, kind of maybe what you're moving into now as well.
1: Sure, sure. The um, the evolution of supply chain fifty was an interesting one because if you think about it, supply chain as a function in most global enterprises is still a relatively young uh, function in, in most businesses. It's not one that people went to school to to learn um, you know 12, 15 years ago. Uh, today and, and I'm that's, sorry, that's because I gotta jump in on that one. That's it, <laughs> you, you, you 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 again touch on something that's so
0: I think fascinating to say, but how how do you think that supply chain is something that we all kind of know what it is, but it wasn't organized organizationally really recognized? I I mean, that's just a fascinating comment to make. I mean, for as much as they do, for it to be sort of anonymous or a subgroup to just operations, I mean, why why was supply chain not recognized as a major group? Or what then prompted supply chain 10 years ago and supply 50 started or eight years ago um, to become its own group and find those leaders? Like what what kept them in the dark, so to speak?
1: Well, I think the 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 attitude of, of most business leaders back in the day before you know supply chain became you know something that was truly integrated to the leadership of a company uh, was that the the purchasing function you know was was one dimension that was very much a back office you do what we tell you we, we you go get what we need and and all will be good mm-hmm. um, the globalization of business another really you know, critical factor in that and that the supply lines for most companies were pretty close to where they were based mm-hmm. um, that's obviously changed dramatically in the last 15 20 years mm-hmm. uh, so purchasing as one dimension i think the second would be logistics you know mm-hmm. again back office function uh, sometimes critical sometimes not um, but the speed and pace of business was nothing like it is today and 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 the way it's it's transformed over the past few years so logistics as a function um, definitely um, needed help as as business models started to change. Um, so there there needed to be a better way to look at it, and um, you know, supply chain I think became one of the answers in terms of, of linking procurement and logistics together. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, uh, large scale manufacturers as they globalized found that the need to source, make, deliver, um, and and to think of that as one system versus disparate systems became much more critical. Mm-hmm. But um, there, 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 have definitely been you know books written, you know, over the last few years, you know, talking about the the transformation of supply chain. I love the term value chain mm-hmm. because it truly is today of an enabler of value. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the top things that you know leading supply chain heads talk a lot about today is the evolution of business models and mm-hmm. having a seat at the table for leading the business model transformation and change happening in companies today is something that is unquestioned in terms of need. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, probably the biggest dilemma is that there are very few leaders that um, are available in the marketplace that can truly lead from that senior most perspective uh, and I'm talking about direct reports to the to the CEO of your global 2,000 companies. Um, you know that's still a very limited pool of people that have proven, then and, and people that got got the the stripes and the and the success uh, in making a difference on that level. So it's still an area I think where there's a lot of evolution, a leadership evolution needed. But no doubt the uh, the enterprise uh, strategy is built more around that uh, end-to-end supply chain thinking than ever before. Mm-hmm. And
0: and a, a great segue into then how the Supply 50 group evolved. Um, you know, as visibility was kind of coming to the supply chain and the supply chain leaders, I know I, when I first attended Supply 50, oh God, I guess about four years ago, five years ago, I was so impressed with the know, 35, 40 people in the room, you know, chief supply chain officers from UPS, from Ralph Lauren, from UPS. I mean, that must have been a fascinating view and actually has some parallels to the function, right? As you've seen it as supply 50 grew. Can you walk through a little bit of that, you know, how it started to where it is today when you uh, left earlier this year? Like what, you know, what sure. was that all about?
1: well i'll tell you, as a technology guy coming into you know a function that um, clearly needed to evolve, I think one of the big observations I had in the early days is that there was little cons- there was almost no concern for technology shift. It was really more about the talent demands hmm. of the organization uh, and the sh- extreme shortage of people that had the skill sets to do the, the jobs that were most needed in supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, the second factor, I think, at, at that point in time that was really emerging and had not you know, taken root was the concept of supply chain as a function that is considered a C-suite function. Right. Um, you know, I think in the mid-2000s is when that a lot of the talk started around companies needing to elevate the role to take it out of the back office function that had been in and make it more of one that uh, was central to the strategy of a company. Mm-hmm. began but there were very very few that had achieved that i think over the biggest shift over the last five years has been that it's almost an expected position now mm-hmm. um whether it's procurement or supply chain um in, in many companies kind of treat those titles synonymously uh but the 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 function really has gained that recognition as a a sweet a c-suite role that um that companies need to embrace for you know to to be more agile and 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 quick to market and flexible and capable of responding to all the the risks that are impacting company, large companies today. And did that did that you know kind of evolution <clears throat> mirror what you saw
0: as the Supply Fifty group evolved? Because I can't imagine day one it was you know the the forty people that you have that that are there today it must have been kind of a smaller group and then evolved from there. How did that progress? How did that kind of evolve and get to where it is? Because it is a very, I mean, when you step in there, it's a, it's a heady group of people that, that you had right. pull together.
1: Sure. Sure. I, I think that, um, you know, probably the one, one of the most interesting dimensions to it today for me is, is how many of those early members were true advocates for supply chain, gaining a greater visibility in their organizations and while they may not have survived to see it, how interested they are to stay a part of it today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the early, early players, I think of uh, Ajit Shetty at Johnson & Johnson. Ajit's someone I still stay in touch with, but, um, you know, he led J&J through some very uh, tumultuous times and the uh, supply chain role wasn't always the role that, that, that gained the visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but through his efforts, I think when you, you talk about J&J today, there's very, very few businesses globally that operate with, you know, greater strength in their supply chain and, and greater recognition for being a pivotal part of their, their approach to market than, uh, than what you see at J&J. But there are many others, uh, like Ajit that, that played that early role in seeking to really put their... Um, their focus on helping supply chain as an organization gain visibility versus their, their specific ego or role in getting there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I guess if I had to share one more thing about what makes supply chain special to me, it is that leadership role that the senior most supply chain heads, the way they, the way they lead is the thing that I would, want to point out um, most of them are true servant leaders mm-hmm. they, uh, check their ego at the door they're very quick to uh want to you know raise the profile and visibility of the people around them versus doing it for themselves mm-hmm. I, I think of the group you know as just a very humble and um interested group to solve problems in a very practical way mm-hmm. uh, versus, um um you know, being a group that you know may look to achieve things for their own interest, or uh, you know, have big egos that that get in the way of meaningful conversation. That that is, you you almost never see that in supply chain. From,
0: from yeah, the, that's that's like, an interesting point. The DNA and makeup of what a supply chain professional look like, kind of historically, you kind of walked a little bit through that, and then kind of how that's you know what what you see for success for supply chain, and then and eventually we're going to get to is what does the supply chain person look like in the next 20 years, um, right. That's evolving, you know, as we kind of get into that, but how did the conversation evolve within supply 50? You know, how did it, where did you start, you know, over you know, almost a decade ago with this group to where it is today? What, what trend did you see along those 10 years? Uh, you know, from the initial conference of these people to, you know, what, what, are, what was top of mind, you know, now?
1: Yeah, I guess the most meaningful thing to point out would be that back in the early days, it was more about the mechanics of the business. Yep. So, you know, what are you doing to improve your SNOP practices, right? What, what are you doing to, uh, you know, take cost out of the enterprise? How are you responding to measuring, you know, the impact of, of uh, the supply chain organization from a cost effectiveness point of view? Mm-hmm. Um, that conversation has really changed over the last few years to one that's far more focused on innovation. Right. Um, how do we evolve our business model? How do we play a more meaningful role in leading change in the enterprise and not just from a functional perspective, but from a cross functional perspective? Mm-hmm. How do you think about service to the customer uh, differently than um, you may have thought of in the past? And, uh, you know, I, I, topics like agility. Mm-hmm. Are, are are ones I find fascinating with the group, because I think five years ago, if you brought agility up, it would have been all about how do we listen and, and take advantage of what our suppliers can offer to us in a different way or in a more effective way today. Whereas agility today is much more market facing, mm-hmm. thinking about the consumer, tapping into data streams that allow you to be more predictive and anticipate what's coming next to the business versus looking, you know, at you know, the, the, supply, the, the supply side for, for insight and help. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's not important, but what, you know, I see being far more the priority of supply chains today is organizing to better serve and, and be on the front line with, with the service model to the customer.
0: Right, right. So it sounds like, you know, kind of encapsulating though, again, there's some trends here, which is supply chain and its leadership almost had more of a passive role and it's evolving into a more proactive role, right? And in that proactive nature, there are now uh, the, in the CEO level looking and in, in the transformation of the supply chain leadership, you know, is looking for thought leadership in supply chain. Instead of when you started and talked about, you know, go get this stuff, <laughs> just kind of do what you're told, to now you're a voice at the table and tell us how to optimize this. You're an active member of the overall business health and um, profitability, what do you do to, you know, engage in that? So, you know, it seems as if supply chain leaders are now, in, instead of kind of just taking direction, they're the ones providing direction. You know, how do, how do,
1: how, how do you see
0: something like that as well?
1: Absolutely. I, I think that's, that's well said. I, you know, the other, the other dimension to it, if, if you really were to, to look at what's happening today, we're seeing supply chain leaders gain other functional responsibilities mm-hmm. uh, as well not unusual today to see it report into the supply chain head, hmm. uh, operations, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really almost playing that COO role, yep. um, over, you know, of, of, the, the traditional functional, you know, role of procurement of logistics. So it's, uh, it's really been interesting to watch the expansion occur. Well, um,
0: is, is it fair to say, and you make me think of this is, is it fair to say that, Almost supply chain is becoming recognized as a business within the business because supply chain leadership, as you've already kind of articulated, involves everything from buying, managing, and selling assets, um, which is a, a almost a business of itself. I mean, you think about the budgets that people manage. I know I managed, you know, a lot when I ran supply chain at, at, at eBay. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 a massive, but it's usually. One of the biggest, if not the biggest piece of the enterprise budget. so it's it's almost now in a way of thinking that you know I have to have this mini business within my own you know business, whatever that is, right? And that's supply chain. Is that another way to kind of think about
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, the the only um, you know I, it'd be interesting to get you know direct response from uh, supply chain heads on that t- that statement because I think there's always a lot of sensitivity in supply chain that um, when, they, when they are considered a business in, in, inside the business by mm-hmm. others, that suddenly they become uh, their metrics become more important than the business metrics. Uh, mm-hmm. Their processes overrule what, you know the customer may be asking for from the business. Mm-hmm. So uh, the positioning of supply chain today, uh, is, is really evolved into something that has to almost seamlessly integrate into the needs of the business units they are there to, to serve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that friction points that get in the way of making, uh, you know, the, 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 that next leap in speed or visibility, um, need to make sense to the business units in order for, you know, progress to really occur. Mm-hmm. Inside, uh, inside that supply chain operating unit and engine, mm-hmm. um, I like the operating system uh, analogy yep. um, a lot because I think that's what supply chain really represents to most businesses: is that operating system that never goes dark, that yep. always performs. Yep. When there's a failure, it figures out the best path to healing. You know the the problem or the glitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's expected to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's so very interesting segue that you bring in the operating system. And sometimes I use the the content, I mean, for other people, I always are, have used like the central nervous system, right, yeah. to the body. You know, that's what supply mm-hmm. chain is. But as the operating system, again, great segue here, then that leads into the trend of, you know, for this operating system, for this central nervous system, for this business within the business, top of mind today is now, Embracing of technology, um, you know, it, we clearly have seen that it hasn't happened yet, and you know, there's all sorts of reasons for that. But now that it is happening, you know, what what is it that they're thinking about? What does digitization of the supply chain mean? I mean, it's such a broad topic, and you know, I, I really want to kind of get into specifics for people here so they can take away some almost actionable insights by the time we're done. But you know, just even defining digitization of the enterprise supply chain—what does that mean to you? How would you explain that to people?
1: Well, first of all, anytime I'm speaking to a supply chain organization, and this this question comes up of you know what's getting in the way of progress as it relates to digitizing the supply chain, because I think everybody would like to see it move faster. Mm-hmm. My first statement is: first, recognize who we're working with, guys. This is the no failure zone of the enterprise. Right. You know, when it comes to reliability, it's four nines. Mm-hmm. You know, the the superstars of sports. You know, whether you're talking baseball or basketball you know, baseball batting 500 was considered a miraculous effort. If you batted 500 in supply chain, you would have been fired months before that you even got the chance to get there, right? Right, right. So there's a certain expectation um, for day-to-day continuity of the business that makes it very difficult for supply chains to take risk. So I'll just make that point starting out. Um, I think we are seeing significant change in the positioning of digital mm-hmm. for supply chains today in that it, I think the mindset in the past was that digital needed to look like my ERP implementation did 10 years ago, which mm-hmm. meant wholesale replacement of what's in place today with something that's very new and different, but better mm-hmm. uh, for the future. And there are too many supply chain heads out there that have too many scars for the pain and, and lashings they took trying to make that a wholesale replacement of an old system for a new system work. Mm-hmm. And the investment required seems completely out of balance in many cases for what you know they would perceive as a, a digital capability. Mm-hmm. So that has over the last couple of years really changed in a significant way in that I think there are um, many new ways to integrate the disconnected piles of data that are in the enterprise today without the wholesale replacement of systems. So there are new pathways opening up that make the digital capability that many businesses are looking for today possible without having to necessarily go out and, and replace your current, your current systems. It's more of a data integration exercise and a you know refresh of dashboard capabilities, things like that, than it is wholesale replacement. So is 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 the uh, and again you,
0: you, you, every time you go through this stuff, there's all sorts of little things that pop up for me. But so it sounds like a good way to encapsulate is there because of the almost you know subservient role of supply chain historically and its passive nature, um, it, it, and, and its risk aversion. it it really prevented people from rocking the boat. You didn't want to disrupt that operating system, but now there's just, there's too much um, progress in digitization across all of our lives, both consumer and enterprise that we see and witness and, you know, and and supply chain has just not embraced it largely because they've almost been, I want to say afraid to, right? They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to disrupt their four, five, six nines of uptime. Um, But, they can't do that anymore. They can't, they, you know, the, the enterprise has invested in sales and marketing and HR and, you know, sometimes even operations, but supply chain sitting there waiting to be digitized and embrace technology. And, you know, they, they have to do that now. And it is overwhelming. It is not the replacement of an ERP system. You know, what, you know, if you kind of get into that a little bit or that summation and then move into like, what, what, how do they start? What's the What is the status? What does it mean? And again, digitization, general term, but you talk about the data, you talk about underneath it, you've got asset lifecycle management, you've got procurement, you've got disposition, you know, where do they even begin? How does the industry across all supply chain begin to start you know, this, or where are they today? And that is, it's still kind of a review process. We're still looking at early things. I mean, what, what do you think the current status is?
1: And I, I you know, I would, I would say, Richard, I always love our conversations on this front because I think you see the world through a different lens that most, um, use for their, their view of, of what's needed. And, and I sit in this chair where it just, you know, it's so easy to be the Monday morning quarterback versus the guy that's on the field, right. You know, calling for the change. Um, the the biggest factor that I think I see in the market is that most supply chain heads would love to have someone walk in the door with a playbook for them on what it what's needed to implement a digital supply chain today. Mm-hmm. And I think we finally re- reached a, a point in time where it's it's pretty easy to see that there is no one playbook for what digital means to the business. Right. You really have to look at your unique workflow requirements and look to leverage digital to power your strategy. Mm -hmm. And it's not a, it's not a wholesale replacement. It's more of how do I augment my strategy to achieve the goals of the business uh, in a way that makes us, you know, faster to market, provide better service to that customer, Mm -hmm. greater visibility. So we're able, able to predict Uh, friction and conflict or, you know, you know, disruption in the supply chain more effectively, you know, things that, things that have tangible ROI and make meaningful change to the business processes that the business is, is looking to either speed up or make, make more efficient. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and is there anything when you look at that kind of uh, framework where you can kind of pick out one or two kind of enterprises maybe over the last year that you would say, yeah, the, these are good examples of starting points. You know, this is an organization that has you know, looked across that panoply of functions and determined where to even start. Because I think that's the hardest, like you just said, that's the hardest part for supply chain leads is where do I even begin? right so are there a couple concrete examples that you've got you know that you've seen or witnessed that that you know can help people kind of understand where to even start
1: yeah you know i um you, you know and at some point we should talk about this on a market segment by market segment uh, you know in terms of industry change because i think that's been the most notable to me i don't know if this is good timing to do that yeah yeah absolutely um but i would say that when you look at industries like oil and gas that are Mm -hmm. asset heavy. Mm -hmm. And when you can impact the performance of your, your assets that are deployed at the bottom of mines or whether it's a, uh, you know, oil rig in a very remote location, when you you can implement technology that allows you to save days of time when something goes wrong Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or simply be more efficient in the way you think of, um, Disposal of those assets—it's always going to be a high-impact and very visible um, initiative to champion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think we're—you know—when you look at what's happened with IoT and sensing devices that are being deployed um, in oil and gas and and, and other mining uh, companies today, I, I think those initiatives are ahead of the market in terms of what you would have seen in, in other other markets because the return on that investment. Is so much more significant. Mm -hmm. Makes sense?
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely makes sense. And I think that's, you know, when we look across multiple industries, and this actually goes to one of the core things that you and I have talked a lot about, and I even think for me, really came out in in my experience at Supply 50, which is, you know, even if I look across multiple industries, the function of supply chain is generally the same right each industry has its you know different or slight nuances or idiosyncrasies right. but the function is the same i'm buying me assets for the business i'm managing those assets for the business i'm selling those assets for the business um so you know it, 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 i think there's best practice learnings when you look across all these industries and again given your vantage point you had an opportunity to really look across all these industries oil and gas is one of those uh, aviation another pharmaceutical i mean pick any major industry it where i you know high tech where i came out of um you know is there is there any in the industry and oil and gas is one that you picked on here that that you know you see or have seen more or less progress than others that others should look at. Because I think that's another key attribute of even supply 50 is supply chain leaders should not be thinking within their own siloed industry. They should look across to other leaders of other industries to get best practices.
1: Yeah, I would, you know, the the next one on my list to think about is the telecom industry. Um, and, And that's, you know, an industry that may be, um, it's so complex and and filled with you know huge investment requirements to stay current mm-hmm. that um, it 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 always gets my attention to look at you know how are they thinking about leading change and they're they're probably more impacted by you know e commerce and digitization than 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 just about any other industry particularly when you look at the level of consolidation happening and the, mm-hmm. you know different platforms of technology that they're inheriting as they go through that consolidation but um Almost taking a chapter from the oil and gas uh, business model, where you have um, the um, you know land rights um, issue and then mineral rights issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's been interesting to watch evolve in the telecom world is that now they're thinking about the content rights, and you know obviously a lot of security concerns around that. Mm-hmm. Versus the, the 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 rights to the operational data that supports the content. Mm-hmm. So when you think about network performance today, how do you how do you monitor that, and do you have the 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 correct contract terms to take advantage of the digital technology that's been deployed and make sure that it's protected? So someone may put big security requirements up, um, but not think in terms of hey, I need the access to that data and the rights to that data to ensure that. I'm operating inside the constraints legally and every other compliance restriction that may be on them,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: transporting goods that shouldn't be on that digital network. Uh, I need the right to inspect and understand that. Um, the use of AI to, to, to analyze the, that data, mm-hmm. differently versus humans analyzing that data, kind of creating an arm's length from the content privacy issues that may exist. I think are great lessons for us all to start taking notice of as Security concerns escalate and the, uh, the risks to supply chains escalate. Um, you know, I think one of the holdbacks for many is that they, they don't want to go digital because it creates extraordinary risk on that front. Hmm. Well, I think telecom is kind of leading the way and paving a road towards a better way to approach the security and data challenges that we face, particularly on this issue of, of getting contract rights to analyze and, and monitor data Mm-hmm. That may be uh, considered uh, proprietary to the company, ho- you know, hosting it or operating, you know, you know their business, um, you know, at an individual site or in, within the enterprise. So as we think about all those boundaries we have to cross in supply chain and all the different supplier relationships that are going digital on us, I think it's important that this data rights issue get a lot more attention. Mm-hmm. Than and, well, uh, and, and
0: I I'll think that's that. you touch on a really critical piece. Uh, there, which is data, again, is a general term, but, you know, data is the 21st century currency, you know, it is the the gold, Uh, it's right, entire businesses and Google has built an entire, you know, trillion dollar business on data, right. So within supply chain, is there some kind of foundational data that you think or have observed is sort of where these organizations should start harnessing because I mean the data, data and data analysis can spiral out of control really quickly when you get up into the higher levels or abstractions of what you're trying to look at you know when you're getting to ROI calculations or um, uh, you know, looking at your capital or strained assets or stuff like that but is there something underneath it all that's sort of the core building block of data that the supply chain organizations should be thinking about because you know AI blockchain machine learning <clears throat> all of that is great Execution at a higher level, but unless you've got good core data models at the foundational level, machine learning and AI is never going to help you. Well, the the first thing I would say on that that
1: front is that a lot of this talk can scare the, the bejesus out of supply chain heads because they're typically not they're not data people. Right? They've they've come up through the business. They've got strong engineering backgrounds, perhaps finance backgrounds, but they don't consider themselves you know, qualified to be in the room for a data conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is that? Just out of curiosity. Why do, why, why, I mean, given
0: how much people are involved in today, I I mean, you know, data is data. What is it you think that holds them back on that one? It's an interesting point to bring up.
1: I I think it's just largely because they've had to play by the rules of what their, their enterprise has dictated in terms of Mm. IT sets their, their business rules. Supply chain has their business rules. And you don't you don't compete for control over those, right? right. I, I do think we're seeing a shift on that level. I don't want to imply that that's maybe the the, the common way of, of thinking about those challenges, because there's certainly lots of evidence on how not to do that. But yeah. um, I think that's the the underlying reason. I I but I, I back to this issue of, um, you know, what what's needed by leadership on this level. I, I, I think it's really looking at the problem more at an enterprise level mm-hmm. and thinking about how do i construct a team that's responsible for data today across all the silos that we have in the organization mm-hmm. companies that i'm seeing that are getting this right have got you know a, you know a leader that was hired for that purpose Mm-hmm. and it's not so much to hire someone that's going to build a team that's recruited from the outside it's more hiring a leader that has a vision for how to get to an integrated you know single source of the truth platform for your data right and depending on the the the, the complexity of the organization you know that that team can be wildly differently organized but the layers of, of most organizations that are involved in in data science today are are are, are pretty complex in, in most global businesses, and it's I think important to get your arms around the construct of that and to think more end to end about data than than many businesses do today. That you know treat it on a business unit by unit, business unit basis. So, so to replay that back, because again, I
0: think you uh, touch on touch on some really fascinating points here, which is that. Um, A single source of truth, a common platform, something that these businesses, you know, can rely on because the existing state today is it's within supply chain and operations even. It's usually a hodgepodge of on and offline tools. And there's no continuity. There's no communication. I know I experienced firsthand, you know, one of the first things I did when I ran supply chain is ask the very question, you know, how much of these things do we own and operate? Where are they? And, you know, how long have they been there? And I found that took me months to get that answer, um, which is also illustrative of what you find in other supply chain organizations. Mm-hmm. So, um, first and foremost is you know the need to consolidate to be in kind of one system, one platform, or something like that, internal, external, whatever. But m- more to my question is, is there a common thread that runs through that supply chain? I, that sort of a leading question because I have got my own thought on this, but um, you know mm-hmm. w- you see that underlying dna that you know if we were to point if supply chain leaders were to take one or two things out of this podcast what should that be one thing that they should be looking at that that they should you know be focusing on good data
1: well i think it's the right data right it's it's not don't let the the size of the challenge interfere with your goal to get to the right data right you know frequently you know perfect data stops everything in in its tracks and you know, no progress occurs. And I, yeah. I think today there's a recognition that, they're, you know, just focus on getting the right data that helps you achieve the goal you have in mind. Mm-hmm. From a supply chain perspective, the one common thread I hear day in and day out, curious to hear what you you think, Richard, on this, is visibility. Yep. It's yeah. that, how do, I, how do I shine a light on the darkest spots of the supply chain so that right. I have that end-to-end visibility for where things really are?
0: Right, right completely agree, right? Visibility, uh, uh, transparency, you know, is what I like to kind of say about this, which is, you know, underneath it all, you want full transparency of the supply chain operations for the business. It helps the business. You know, where are my things? Where, you know, where are they today? What are they doing? How have they been there? Um, That is a huge uh, emphasis around this technology adoption. Underneath it all, to complement, you know, kind of what you're saying is, for me, it's always been about the asset data. Um, You know, when I first kind of came into this and looked at it, the very first thing that I saw that runs through everything is the asset itself. You know, if I don't have good asset data, both, you know, when I bought it, how I've operated it, where it went, how I used it, well, nothing else really allows me to analyze anything about what I've done, right? So it's, 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 you know, and, and we all know, and this is kind of one of those, I guess, unspoken truths is when you peel the onion or, you know, look behind the curtain at the asset information and data that most supply chain organizations have, it's usually pretty bad. And it's not an indictment of anybody. It's not indicative of anybody not doing the right thing. It's just, it's more the nature of this hodgepodge of systems that they've had to have for so long. So for me, it's always been about starting with that asset data, right? Because if you don't have that right, nothing else you build on top of it is really going to be effective. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you look at that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that some of the most difficult questions i had to field in the last 10 years have been around cost of capital and uh, how do you know what you're doing is 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 good right mm-hmm. in comparison to everyone else you know mm-hmm. that type of benchmarking yep and um it was always interesting to me that every answer on those asset related questions never seemed to have a great deal of of clarity behind it so i think you're 100% right in that mm-hmm. you know most companies really struggle on yep. that front. Um, yep. Well, and, and, and you also
0: kind of merge in something that that is, you know, for me, as the industry is evolving is, and, and you keyed on it, that, that the natural instinct is to look at your cost of capital or capital efficiency, right? Right. And that's always kind of coming from a financial lens. Um, you know, I would, would love to get your thoughts on, I would challenge the industry to start thinking about their assets as their own version of capital. The asset itself is the supply chain's capital, and if you think of it that way, then what does my asset efficiency look like? Do I have stranded assets in my uh, continuum of buying, managing, and selling? You know, how do I do stacked up against others? You know, am I as good with using my valves in a in an oil rig um, as the competitor? Right how do you how do you think I mean because I think that's part of the evolution that's
1: yeah. going on here okay, so that feeds into another key trend, a key thread that um, I think is emerging real time right now, and that okay. is this whole issue of of, of productivity so yep. how how do you think about improving productivity? I think Intel's doing some really interesting work kind of championing this this cause of 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 the convergence at the edge of networks mm-hmm. So making the machine to machine capability more productive, you know, mm-hmm. making uh, it easier to make decisions and faster to make decisions based on the data that's available to you in your production environments um, and, and really just leveraging the, the tools that are available to, uh, you know, automate, you know, create greater automation but do that with the the whole lens being on how do we take productivity to the next level, which obviously feeds the the return on that asset to a, mm-hmm. a whole new level. Right. That focus in my mind is, you know, when you look at autonomous technologies, you look at IoT technologies that are able to sense and give you feedback that um, is rarely available um, and integrate that in a real-time fashion for, mm-hmm. for better decision-making is is. Going to create that exponential opportunity, and, and it's it's I, I, it's going to be interesting to see who kind of gets there first.
0: Yeah, well, and and I think that kind of then portends where things are going from an innovation point of view, right? If we start thinking of these assets as smart, as we start thinking of these assets as capital, if we start thinking about applying the metrics to our asset base, right, versus taking financial metrics and applying them to our supply chain operations, I think that leads into now different thinking about the supply chain, which is another part of this whole journey that we're on, right? Is you got to rethink supply chain is not just a passive operational function, but a proactive business profitability function.
1: Um, yeah, I, I would say that, you know, when you start point looking, think about the future, a couple of things really intrigue me. And, you know, you look at the pressure, for instance, that retail is under today as, as models for last mile delivery and uh, better service to the customer, everything kind of supply chain of one, right? And that you, you need to customize that product before you ship it to make sense to that consumer, mm-hmm. that single consumer. Where those assets live to fulfill that, I see a huge opportunity for that to be virtualized in a shared resource that is uh, you know powering retail supply chains today right. um, this this focus on having to build your own, own your own um, to me, the power of of the the technologies that, that are coming to market today, the ability to virtualize that mm-hmm. and have it as a shared act you know a, a shared resource in other other uh, you know through through suppliers that can return a lower cost to you as a result of you know pouring that that volume over you know one, a single infrastructure versus um, you know uh, uh, the multitude that are out there today just just looks like a major opportunity for uh, retail to be def- redefined from a profitability perspective and a performance perspective to what you and I expect as consumers. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: it, it absolutely, and I think that then. Kind of so, so piggybacking on that view, if you're starting to look out a little bit now, sort of, you know, we've got this continuum over the last 20 or 30 years where supply chain, which is a function that's always been there almost like your, you know, again, your central nervous system or your operating system, it's almost been taken for granted. And that's just no longer the case. It's, 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 it's becoming. More a part of the management, and becoming. It is a part of the management team. It 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 should be a part of the management team. So as that, and, and then you know, embracing technology, running the business within the business. Now looking out a little bit, like like, how do you see that manifesting? I and mean, I I think the journey we're on is easily going to you know dominate the next decade. I've said that a lot, but you know, looking a little bit more short term, yeah. you know, two, three, four, five years. What do you see kind of coming in that pipe? Like, what are the trends that are happening that you know, that you see taking shape and helping people to actually do this because like a lot of technology, we get lost in some of these higher level abstractions. I think blockchain is one of those that, you know, and I'm a huge blockchain advocate, but it's not necessarily ready for prime time. A lot of people playing with it, but instead of investing time in blockchain, you know, can, are there other things you could be doing trend wise or, you know, what what are your observations on that?
1: I think the most fascinating are the, you know, I like to say brands with legacy, mm-hmm. That are truly getting out in front right now and and, and disrupting the disruptors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you how do you take the scale of your business today and make it an asset versus a liability? Because mm-hmm. I think many brands that have been around for a long, long time feel as if they're being disrupted by companies that are able to move faster, uh, leaner execute in the market in a different way, don't have the legacy, you know, infrastructure that they have to, to pay for, regardless of whether, you know, the the capability is digital or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeing companies break through that paradigm and really make, make their scale and their approach to market something that is, is truly differentiated in the eyes of the consumers or customers they're trying to serve. Right. That, that's a big challenge for, for, for many that are out there today. And, uh, really really look forward to seeing that change.
0: Yeah. And 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 so is there um are there any particular things that you see specifically in that change, right? Is it the leadership is that the, uh, not leadership, is it the DNA of the supply chain professional? Is it the actual technologies that you see that are actually making these changes or are there specific companies that you think you'd love to point people out to, to say, these guys are really kind of championing this digitization journey or embracing it? Yeah, I
1: think the, um, the the one that I would point to that fascinates me that it's just because it's a short story is uh, Unilever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they bought Dollar Shave Club. And the uh, the line that uh, you'll hear from them on their approach to buying Dollar Shave Club is: we want to buy them to learn from them, huh. not to integrate right. them. So the rules of, of 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 acquisition, you know, kind of f- almost like a reverse mentorship type of approach, I think, is really smart in the marketplace today. Yeah. If you're going to buy the the the, the, the speed boats in the marketplace, learn from them. Right. Don't don't try to turn turn them into you. Right. Um, so that type of strategy, I think, is, is super smart. Um, the other thing that I think Unilever's done in a nice way is just focusing on how do we uh, appeal to the consumer's interest in mm-hmm. the best possible fashion. Leverage your ability to develop and implement sustainable solutions for the marketplace. Leverage your R&D to go where the others haven't gone, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is really critical.
0: Well, wow. and that's, that's the organization, I mean, I, mean, I mean, prime examples, organizational change, Unilever. I mean, that's such a fascinating example of buying Dollar Shave Club. I, I love that. I love the Dollar Shave Club ads in the, in the first place. I always, always gave me a kick. I giggle every time I think about them. Um, but, but you know, here's this giant conglomerate multinational company that's buying a relatively small startup just to learn how to get more efficient that way. That seems to be, you know, a trend that's happening in the corporate side, you know, how did you guys get online? How did you kind of bypass the traditional marketing, whatever. Then on top of which now kind of let's talk a little bit about trends for the people, the DNA of a supply chain professional. Right. Um, Cause that's changing dramatically too. If, if you're going from passive to proactive, if you're going from, you know, kind of a, a function, you know, reactive to demands from the business to, you know, expressing your thoughts and opinions to drive the business. How does the how does the supply chain, for people listening, how, how, how do you stay relevant for the next five to 10 years if you want to stay in supply chain? And if you want to grow your career in supply chain to take advantage of this new kind of
1: um, parity at, at the C-level, what do you need to do? I, th- I think the top, Thing that I hear, and the question to really ask yourself is: What are the contemporary skill sets that are required to take the role that you play in supply chain today to the next level?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, if you're not surrounding yourself with people that help you do that, um, you're you're probably setting yourself up for failure today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: the The definition of 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 contemporary today is not the functional skill sets that were in place five, even five years, just five years ago. Right. I mean, the need for understanding data, thinking, you know, about analytics and how they can impact your decision making, you know, as the default versus the the stretch goal right. is uh, really critical today. I, I don't think that uh, an organization is going to survive if you're not reskilling and refreshing the talent base. So that the art of the possible is actually possible.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, trying to do it with a legacy workforce today that can't think along the lines of how to leverage the new tools and, and solutions that are coming to market is a dangerous way to play. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I think, becoming you know very obvious that the traditional places that we found supply chain talent are no longer the future. Right. You really have to think outside the box and bring non-traditional skill sets um, in that that help you think about the problems that you face differently and advance in a in a in a more uh, modern way towards those goals. And I love the term contemporary because I don't mm-hmm. think it's saying that it's old versus new. Right. I think it's just you know a, a contemporary skill skill set in in my mind creates an image of, of of something we can all maintain and achieve if we put ourselves to the test.
0: Great, great words of advice for people wanting to not only extend their careers or even get into this, because I, you know, and I think I've talked about this, I think supply chain is becoming sexy. Um, You know, it wasn't before, but it certainly is now. And when you think about the volumes, you think about the trillions of dollars, and I mean trillions of dollars that these enterprises are spending, managing, and disposing of, it is a massive economic segment um, and, you know, supply chain should be cool. It should be seen as something that is driving the business. It should be a, cont- not only contemporary, but a peer of the head of marketing, of the head of sales, of the head of operations, um, you know, and, and I think it's also very insightful that you bring up that supply chain leadership, you know, again, if, if you are running a true, cause you're running a business, you know, you're, you're, you're running something that go, has to go out source all of these things the business needs, has to negotiate all of that, has to get that stuff in, has to make sure it's operated efficiently and then get rid of it efficiently, all while preserving, you know, asset efficiency, AKA capital efficiency through that that effort. And, you you know, if you are now becoming, to become a peer, you have to be a technologist. You have to have that as a part of your bag of tricks because finance has picked up technology, sales has picked up technology, marketing has picked up technology. But supply chain is just starting there. So is that? I mean, you know, kind of in sort of wrapping up or kind of concluding here. Is that kind of bringing us back to the digitization? That profile is really important for people to understand. You you, you can't be in supply chain today and not thinking technical solutions or digitization. Um, you'll you'll you won't be in that job for long if you if
1: you're not there. And that's exactly right. And you've you've just you know I think the 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 quest for continuous improvement which is those are those are very familiar words to most supply chain heads you have to put those rules on you as an individual to learn and advance in your thinking and the um the 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 concepts here are are not you know outside the reach of of anyone listening to to this interview today i i think this too often you know people kind of categorize themselves as you know not of that era and uh we're seeing plenty of examples of business leaders that are truly creating breakthroughs by building teams that help them get smarter and surrounding themselves with people that have the ability to make them better versus, um, you know, play, playing by the old rules and playing more of a protection, taking more of a protectionist attitude towards, uh, the, the old school versus the new new school kind of mindsets. But, yep. uh, anyway, yeah, great, great to talk through that. And I'm glad we gave talent lots of, uh, of airtime today, because I think it's one of the biggest challenges that the most organizations face today.
0: Absolutely. And so, uh, uh, could, couldn't agree more now shifting to you sort of in conclusion here, how does that line up to what you're doing? Tell, tell the audience a little bit about what you're up to. Cause I think you've got, you're embarking on a different chapter in your career and you're bringing this wealth of knowledge and these decades of experience into your own practice and, and helping people. What, what, what is it that you're up to?
1: Well, I am very, committed to helping supply chain leaders crack the code on both the the talent dimension and on this, how do I take advantage of innovation question Mm -hmm. for supply chain? So I'm entering into a couple of relationships, advisory relationships with companies that are on the leading edge on that front. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm also uh, got an initiative underway to uh, create an institute for supply chain leadership that will help um, supply chain leaders develop their next generation talent. Um, working very closely with World 50 on that effort as well. So that, that talent development and you know, how, do you, how do you crack the code and, and work more effectively with innovative, innovators in the supply chain space or where I'm going to be spending my time on a very independent basis. So it's uh, not tied to any one company, but actually you know, working in conjunction with several. Well, I know
0: um, just based on our experiences as well that, uh, you know, people can find you on LinkedIn, very prominent there, uh, M-A-R-R-I-N. That'll be published as part of this, Bill Marin. Um, You're always open to networking uh, involvement there. Um, so that's
1: a great place for you. Any,
0: any other w- places for people to find kind of what you're up to? Do you have anything that you'd want to point people to?
1: Well, I, I would just say that um – you know, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find me. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, Bill Marin there, I, you know, my, I've retained my email address with world 50, which is bill.marin at world50.com. Um, so my affiliation there is, is particularly strong. And then, um, uh, I'm bill at dot If you want to uh, email me, uh, for on the consulting front. Awesome. Well, there'll be
0: a, um, written version of of all this stuff. People can grab it. We'll make sure it's in there. But, um, you know, great, great conversation today, Bill. Really, really thank you for coming in. I mean, it's fascinating. You know, geez, hour goes by without even blinking and we could go on for another couple hours, I'm sure. Um, Any last comments, any last thoughts or anything like that about what's going on
1: or what we've talked about? Uh, no, I just, you know, we're entering a whole new era of supply chain. And yeah. I don't think anyone feels like they're moving fast enough or taking advantage of of the, the, the newness of, of everything that's coming at them. In fact, I've had several say they feel tired and overwhelmed by the amount of change happening around us in supply chain. The optionality seems infinite right now in terms of things that you could take advantage of. So I would just say that, you know, as you think about priorities and questions, it's so important to reach out and take advantage of the insights of folks like yourself, Richard. And, and, you know, I'm certainly always here to help facilitate and make connections for those that are interested. Um, but never feel like you're alone. I, I think collaboration is really the key to advancement in this new era Absolutely. and look forward to, uh, you know, playing a key role for those that are, that are interested in, in, uh, in help. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, and you you've done a great job of even just kind of queuing in the supply chain next because it is what's next. What is next for supply chain? And I think that you know the value webs, the people, the you know the the, the evolution of it as a sea uh, level parity. I mean, all of these things are right upon us and are going to portend for really good things for people who want to get into supply chain over the next ten years. And it should be something that people really take a long, hard look at because it's important. Um, it's not going away. And, you know, if you are successful in this new world of supply chain, I would argue you have the ability to really run a business anywhere effectively, um, because that's what you're forced to do. You know, you're not, you know, in a way, you actually have all of the skill sets that run a business within your, you know, mini business, because, you know, sales and marketing and operations are, you know, uh, fundamental to supply chain. Most people don't think of it that way um right So i i, I just it, it's a really exciting time to be to be involved in this and can't thank you enough for being involved um you know it's really just a, always a fun time to sit on here and chat with you and so you know with that we'll kind of wrap it up and you know call it a day on this one but but awesome thank you so much
1: thank you richard and thanks everyone for listening